Hello! Hello! And welcome back to This Week in Australia! My name's New! And my name's Rue! And welcome back to the podcast you've watched for the last few weeks. Nothing different here. Everything, as you notice, is right side up as it usually is in Australia. But if you're viewing elsewhere, <laughs> it might be upside down! <laughs> Anyway, that was enough of that. How's everyone doing? Welcome back. Welcome back to This Week in Canada. This Week in Canada. My name is Roberto Wakerel Cruz. And as always with me, my co-host Nico. Say hello, Nico. Hello, everyone. How are we? Wow. That was quite the intro. Sorry about that. We thought that was hilarious. We have been preparing that for weeks. <laughs> like, uh, like, oh, should we do the Australia intro this time? It's like, no, no, no. We should save it for something special. We really did and this And boy, is it a special podcast. Yeah. What's happened, Bobby? Big time. Uh, so we had a big week last week. Actually, I think it was on Sunday of this week. We had a pretty eventful day in terms of electing a leader to an opposition party. And that's Mr. Aaron O'Toole. And who knew? Who suspected that Peter McKay's coronation may not go as easily as everyone foresaw? You know, I look at Peter McKay's campaign, and from the get-go, this guy shot himself in the foot at every available opportunity. And yet the media, which is so out of touch with Canadians in particular, but, you know, conservative Canadians, they just don't know. They might as well be on Mars for the CBC's concerned. They thought that Peter McKay was going to clinch this up until the first ballot came out and he only got 33%. So we have a new leader, and I think this guy has a chance of defeating Justin Trudeau. Yeah, well, it was quite an eventful day, and like you said... Uh Peter McKay ran a campaign that basically had the entire media's back because the CBC didn't really cover the conservative leadership contest like we did. We were really in-depth, covered every aspect, every kind of development uh, in what was going on. And it, while Peter McKay had the name recognition, everyone knows who Peter McKay is. He founded the party. He didn't really have the head of steam going into this that I think he thought he would. It was assumed that he would. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He... I had a horrible social media campaign, one of the worst social, one of the worst social media campaigns I've ever seen. And uh, if you don't know by now, it's really important to have a good social media campaign. If you look down in the states or at Brexit, different things that happen. And social media campaigns. We're in the are middle massive. of a pandemic, and because yeah. you can't do traditional campaigning, digital becomes really, really important. And all through the campaign, every step of the way, Peter McKay found a way to screw up, and this was just taken. And thrown at him. And even his status as a part of the Canadian establishment was used against him. For instance, and this was two days before the actual leadership results came out, the Toronto Star endorsed him. And they thought they're doing the guy a great service. Yeah. But I don't think there's ever been a more damaging endorsement in political history. <laughs> and it goes all the way through the campaign. He made errors, perhaps it's because he spent some time out of politics, sort of got a bit rusty. And he never really picked up steam. But I've spoken to a few conservatives who were there that night. And from what I hear, Peace McKay really thought he'd going to win it. But from my perspective, and I know sort of as nature of being on Twitter, you surround yourself in an echo chamber. But from everyone I saw, no one really likes Peter McKay aside from Peter McKay's campaign team. And I think everyone who was a bit more distant and wasn't inside the Ottawa bubble really did see this coming. Yeah, for sure. And I think proof of that, case in point, a case in point was when Peter McKay 
so if you don't know how the conservative voting works, it's whoever basically gets to 50% first. And if no one gets 50%, they eliminate the last person, the person that polled last, and then they put their votes to the second, third option, and so forth. So in the first round, when Peter McKay didn't, it was it, 33%? He got just under 34%. And he wanted 40% as a minimum. Right. But thought he would get 50%. It was total proof of that because... Uh, Peter McKay's conservatism was just name recognition, it, it seemed like. There was no actual reason to vote for him. That's why so many of the second and third, fourth ballot votes just didn't go anywhere near his way. And when uh, it was like 30% O'Toole to 33% McKay, you we saw the camera yeah. the, the camera going into Peter McKay's room and uh, just <laughs> sadness. Just total hello darkness. Utter misery. My old friend. It was sad. And so um, am I surprised? A little bit. I think I told you going in yeah. uh, I, that I, uh, like a week before, I thought Peter McKay had a pretty solid shot. But, you know, what do I know, I guess, you know? It turned out uh, yeah. O'Toole was the underdog I'll here. tell you what, though. It's been nice to see the Conservative Party reunite around Erin O'Toole because, as you may be aware, it was a fairly acrimonious leadership election. Um, the two principal contenders were throwing mud at each other and it was getting a bit messy. But I think, broadly speaking everyone has largely rejoined the Conservative team. And as a result of that, and as a result of Aaron O'Toole's first speech, which I thought was very good, I think we have a pretty good chance of defeating Justin Trudeau. I'm feeling pretty optimistic, but let me throw that question to you. Do you think we're going to be able to defeat Trudeau with Aaron O'Toole? I do. Uh, just a couple more things before I, because I do, I do think Absolutely. so. But uh, just really quick, because I know we have viewers that like Leslin Lewis. Yeah. Let's give a nice thumbs up in, uh, give us a like. For Leslie Lewis. <laughs> what a campaign. What a campaign. Wonderfully done. She won Saskatchewan. Yeah. She outperformed. Well, I mean, if you're really paying attention, she was donate. She was getting donations out the wazoo. Like she was getting two million dollars, two million dollars in donation campaign donations. Which is really, really impressive. And I you know what's even better is that if she was a cruel person or Machiavellian or not particularly principled, even then I would begrudgingly respect her. But it turns out she's thoroughly nice, a principled, fantastic, conservative woman. And her campaign manager, who's a guy called Steve Outhouse, is probably one of the nicest guys in politics I've ever met. So it's wonderful to see them do well. She definitely has a place in the party. I think she'll probably run in some seat in Ontario. Um, and if she wins that, there's definitely a place for her in the shadow cabinet and possibly the cabinet after that. And she has an extremely exciting future. And perhaps, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but she may be leader at some point in time. There's definitely, she's shown us that potential. She used to learn French. And she needs to be a bit more attuned to policy. Because when I spoke to her, there was definitely, she wasn't quite as up to date as the members of parliament were. But that's only natural, or as Peter McKay was because he used to be a member of parliament. But that will come, and her French will come, and she will get more experienced. And after then, I think she has a really good shot of making the Conservative Party in her own image. But we'll see. Yeah, we will see. But uh, basically, just big congratulations. We think that we've said on the podcast, I think a couple times, she's a rising star that definitely has a big future. She could just be a you know parachute candidate, yeah. somewhere safe, 
Put her in, you know, Saskatchewan. put her in Saskatchewan. <laughs> she won Saskatchewan. If you want to live in Saskatchewan, Leslin, leave smelly Toronto, no offense, Toronto, and move to nice, oh, the Paris of the Prairies. Go on out, you know, have a good time, have a ball. But anyway, I think we were moving on, and let's, you know, this would actually wait, wait, be. Hold on, hold oh, on. Oh, no, sorry. Back to my original question. Sorry. Aaron O'Toole, is he going to defeat Justin Trudeau? Well, here's what I want to know it. Well, this would be a perfect time for a transition. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> Wow, no, this is such a sweet transition. What a transition. Wow, they're so good. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, James. Uh, no, they're great. Oh, turn down the volume next time, James. We had viewers yell at us in the comments about how loud they were. Yeah. So. Blame James. Blame James. I'm telling you, every time something goes wrong in this podcast, it's always James. It's always James. Yeah. His thumbs are so large yeah. that he doesn't know what he's typing and it always screws up. So put a hashtag blame James in the comments. I'm sure he'll love that. <laughs> Саша, выключаем два с половиной уже. Значит, сейчас я буду выключать. Я не выключу, пока только что... Саша! Мам, я не выключу! Сейчас выключу я, и компьютер вообще да, не выключится. Да, я хочу, мама, я хочу не Саша! Мама, не Надо Anyway, I think you had a question that you were uh, about to throw my way. Aaron O'Toole. Yes. Became conservative leader. Everyone's feeling very positive on Twitter, at least. Uh, yeah. He's, I, I think he's probably an improvement on Sheer, just from his first speech and press conference. But Justin Trudeau, we got to give it to him. He's a good-looking, charismatic guy who has power bases in electorally viable areas, such as Toronto and Montreal. Big time. It's a difficult candidate to defeat. But I want to know whether you think Aaron O'Toole can actually usurp this, you know, this wonderful, luscious... Hair, celebrity prime minister. You didn't need to go after Aaron O'Toole's hair there. <laughs> but uh, yes, I kind of do. It depends, right? So uh, Aaron O'Toole said that he would be he'd be ready for an election basically any t- Like it sounded like in the fall they would be prepared for an election, which is nice. I don't know if that would be ideal uh, necessarily. I think yeah. that's a little too soon. I, and especially with uh, parliament in prorogation, um, not enough time to really assert yourself yeah. as the leader of the party and really shine, let yourself be known to Canadians. It's really unfortunate that the Conservatives just totally fumbled their leadership contest by ma- making all of us wait till 1 a.m. before we knew who won. And that was awful for a couple reasons. They didn't get the newspapers. I think that's frivolous, though. I, I, I don't think anyone's going to remember it. Uh, I don't know. I think a lot of people... Well, you're right. More people are cynical about that kind of... The, the cynics will remember it. But uh, also, it's just his speech didn't really, like, it was at 1 a.m., you know? It's not really the way it was supposed to be. I yeah. feel like that was supposed to be, like, an 8 p.m. thing. You might even hear about it, but 1 a.m. is a little little late. So I don't think that's a massive factor, yeah, but it, it, what I'm basically getting at is I would like him to establish himself more in the party before an election, in which case, if he does, and he does it well, which I think he is capable of doing, yes. Well, I actually think Aaron Atoll agrees with you. And actually, uh, in the first press conference, he was very clear and tried to spin it as, as I think is true, that Justin Trudeau wants an election. He's playing politics. He wants to have an election in a pandemic before Canadians have a chance to know Aaron O'Toole. Yep. He wants to run an election based on his throne speech, which is more difficult to do than, for instance, on the We Charity scandal, because Justin Trudeau is going to introduce sweeping social reforms. So essentially, he's going to give everyone free money 
which forces the conservatives into a position where they have to say, well, actually, this free money might not be for the benefit of the country. And actually, perhaps the prime minister here is being incredibly cynical by giving you this free money without any care for the future. And to make that case is a pretty difficult thing to do. But I think if the conservatives are honest with the Canadian people, say, you know what, we've had a crisis, a disaster, this pandemic, the economic fallout that came with the lockdown, we need to fix our economy. And if they're honest about the fact that it's going to include social cuts and perhaps even, I dare say, some tax rises, then perhaps we will be able to forgive them. But I don't know. Yeah, that's all a very good point, especially when uh, you saw today a uh, release from the Fraser Institute that uh, we wrote about, National Post wrote about. Uh, they did a report that basically covered the amount of money that was probably wasted in the form of CERB and CESB, I think it's called, and yeah. all these different funds and just the money that the Trudeau government was really just like just spraying all over the population with no regard, you know, spraying, you know, <laughs> spraying. <laughs> like these Airwick cans behind us spraying. Uh, so actually what, what happened, I, I saw the numbers today. It was something like, I think it was $80 billion in wasted money. And the, the breakdown was really interesting. $80 billion is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and wait, no, sorry. I think I got that wrong. I, th I think it was 20 billion was wasted out of 80 billion. Yeah. So, <laughs> which is still pr pretty bad. It's more money than I have. It's, that means one out of every $4 the Trudeau government spent was spent poorly. On nothing. On nothing. And, just, and just might as well pissed it down a drain. They, yes. And what they do, uh, they did a breakdown of where the money went. And it was something like, a lot of money. It was something like billions of dollars to people who were still living with their parents, parents that earned over a hundred thousand dollars a year, God. and that they but they qualified because they earned over five thousand dollars the previous tax year. They got to basically live at home and get two thousand dollars a month from the government for absolutely no reason at all. And by the way, I know some of these people. Uh, they don't deserve your money. They don't Trust deserve me. your money. And whenever I see them getting a sandwich, I know I'm paying for it. So anybody who I had a tab with, all of a sudden, they don't, I, I don't owe them any money anymore. You know what? May I say something controversial? Yeah, sure. I miss Bill Morneau. Whoa. I know. I know. But let me get to the point. Bill Morneau, despite being entirely gormless and useless and, and irritating, despite all that, despite the fact he has two daughters who uh, use your money to write awful books about some woman somewhere in some distant continent. Despite all that, he is better than Christia Freeland, who has no history or debt from economics. So as I said in the last podcast, what is going to happen as a result of that is that the PMO, which is run by Trudeau and Katie Telford, who's sort of like a, uh, she's like, who's that Russian guy? Putin? No, 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 no. The one that killed the czars. Or, or advise the czars. This is long-winded. She's like... That's Putin. Jesus. And, <laughs> and, you know, so we can't trust her. And on top of that, we have Christia Freeland, who has no economic experience, which means it's going to be tied together, and they're just going to throw money around like it grows on trees. And I don't know what's going to happen, 
but I think we're going to see a serious debt to GDP ratio. Canada is going to not be seen as a particularly serious country where you can invest your money into. Definitely I, not. I, I, I think it's pretty dangerous. But because you can win elections on that sort of manifesto, I think they're just going to go for it. And it's pretty scary times. And hopefully the opposition can put a halt to it. You know, the Bloc Quebecois, I think, may. I think the Conservative Party may. The NDP are loving this. They're pretty much redundant at this point. Yep. But we really have to store our hope in the Conservatives winning election after this throne speech. Sort of damage limitation. It's going to be damaging. Mm-hmm. Let's try to make it as least damaging as possible. Yeah, it's all damage control from here on yeah. out. It's really going to be interesting to see how the Conservatives go about this. Uh, O'Toole actually addressed this a little bit in his... Um, What's you call that commencement speech? Yeah, I don't know, his, yeah, his speech, uh, uh, first time dr- addressing Canadians, he was kind of just saying, you know, don't buy the liberal spin on me. And this is something that uh, maybe is a little unrelated, but it's going to be interesting to see how O'Toole navigates through the media storm that's probably going to come his way, especially in a time right now. It feels like a lot of there's a lot of social movements going on, and because we're Canada and we don't really have an identity too much dissociated uh, from the U.S., that's not saying we don't have identity. But we ride on a lot of the same waves as the U.S. that the U.S. makes. Uh, so I feel like there's going to be a lot of talking points that spill over from the U.S. Yeah. into Canada. God forbid. And, and that's going to be tough for O'Toole to navigate because immediately, because they're conservative, and just by nature of them being conservative, they're suddenly racist. They don't like black people. They hate gay people. When It was fascinating to see the media spin. Yeah. Literally, two days in to his leadership, you started to see articles about the fact that O'Toole's a bit weird on abortion. Which, by the way, he's not. He's always been pro-choice. I don't know where you stand on the issue. And I actually don't think people who believe in, (laughs) you know, who are pro-life necessarily should be condemned to the fringe of politics. It's pretty weird that Canada does that. Yeah. Um, But on top of that, they try to call him racist because he won't banish Derek Sloan from caucus. They're just playing games and they're going back to the tactics they use every time, which worked with Sheer, which was, you can't trust these guys, they're gonna take away your rights, which they're not. And they made it completely <laughs> clear that they're not. And by the way, Justin Trudeau is more pro-life than Erin O'Toole is. But th- you won't hear the media saying that in Canada. It's, it's a bizarre country when it comes to this sort of politics. And I just, it's so irritating to see the media just lap it up. You know, the Huffington Post saying, oh, take back Canada's racist because they're taking it back from NATO. Forgot about that. No, they're not. They're taking it back from Justin Trudeau. Just as Justin Trudeau's slogan in 2015 was Canada's back or something like that. Yeah. There's no difference. Yeah. And, and hopefully, Aaron O'Toole can stand up and did what Sheer did in the very last month of his leadership, which is to say, don't trust these guys. They're manipulating what I say because FYI, they received $600 million from me in media subsidies or they are totally funded through media subsidies or taxpayer subsidies. It's very worrying stuff. I agree. (laughs) Yeah, it's a whole lot to go up against. It seems like the establishment is definitely against the Conservative Party ever winning again. And uh, I know this is basically just recapping what you just said, but the country isn't necessarily going in the best direction. We're putting ourselves in a lot of debt that's going to take literally generations to pay back. And if we don't get back on track now or in the uh, spring when there is an election, in the fall and the spring, if we can't, Canadians don't decide and pay attention because Canadians don't pay attention to anything because we're so complacent with our politics. If Canadians decide to pay attention and decide to get back on track, it would be 
it's it has to happen. It would be a big, big win for the conservatives and the future of the country. That sounds hyperbolic, but I think you would agree yeah. that is this is a very important. I know everyone always says it might be the most, the most Im- important Canadian election in my memory. So yeah. you know, I, I'm not particularly old, but I'm struggling to think of an election which had as much consequence as this one has. Perhaps we have to look to you know Pierre Trudeau's third election or Brian Mulroney's first election or Harper's first election. This is about as important as it gets in Canadian politics. So, suit up, get ready. We're in for a uh, we're in for the long haul, I think. Yeah, we are. It's going to be an interesting time. And uh, let's do a transition. Okay. Oh, I really didn't like when you sit that close to me. All right, and thank oh. you for watching this week in Canada. That was a really fun episode, eh, Nico? Oh, I loved it. Oh, God, I hate this. <laughs> thank you for watching. Make sure you leave a like in the comments. Uh, next week, this week, please, we're trying to get to 1,200 likes because next week, I have to announce, we got 1,000 likes. And that means my yeah, mustache. Yeah, why hasn't your mustache been shaved off? You made a promise. Well, I wanted to announce. And an eyebrow, by the way. Don't forget about the eyebrow. Uh, the eyebrow is up for uh, debate. If we, okay, if <laughs> oh, we, you if, can't trust us. If guy. we get 400,000 likes, I will shave off my eyebrows. How about if we get... Hold on, let me make a... Uh, sort of a bet with you. Uh-huh. If we get 3,000 likes, 3, will you shave off your head? Come on. Yes. All right. 3,000 likes on the podcast. Next week, I'm shaving my mustache. 3,000 likes on this podcast. I will shave my head. This is a one-time offer. It's not going to be available any other weeks. This is really just a push for gold. So you guys got to do it. Anyway, uh, leave a like, leave a subscription, leave us a comment, hashtag blame James. Let us know what you liked, what you hated about the podcast, any mistakes James made, leave them <laughs> in the comments. He always loves hearing. <laughs> and uh, anything else you got to say? No, that was it. You know, I really do appreciate every single one of you and I can't wait to see you again next week. All right. Well, see you later. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>